to uh, and turn to your Bibles to, to Psalm 29. Psalm 29. I'll kind of clear my desk here and make some room. We are uh, in Psalms, and we'll, we'll be in Psalms uh, this week and next. We'll finish up next week with our celebration Sunday with a very celebratory uh, Psalm, Psalm 30. Uh, but today we look at Psalm 29. Uh, this psalm is dealing with the power of God, and it's, it's, being, being, it's dealing with the power of God as it's revealed in nature and available to his people. So we see it, God's power in heaven, God's power over nature, God's power in people displayed. That's kind of where we're going today with that. Um, and, and it needs to be noted, though, that this, this psalm is entirely praise. Where we've, we've covered some psalms, and I know it's difficult sometimes. We look at a psalm and like, okay, David's crying again. He's whining. He's, you know, we say it's whining, right? But he's, he's lamenting. He's sorrowful, he's in anguish, he's in despair. And those are real things. But sometimes it's like, man, again, I, I know it's a hard time, David, right? And, but he always had this trust in God, yet I will trust in God. Today, it's just a praise. It's just like we are going to worship the Lord, and here is why we're going to worship the Lord. So I, I'm excited to see that. It's entirely a passage of praise. There's no request at all. Uh, in it, though, we see two things that are very important, two themes that will go through the entire passage. We see, one, God's greatness, and we see, two, God's grace. So we see God's greatness displayed, and we see God's grace displayed. And, and I know those things sound very familiar, and I might get garbled a little bit once in a while, and I'll try to come back and clear it up. But we see God's greatness and God's grace on display throughout the entire passage. And, and I'll tell you this, before we get started, it's very difficult to see and, and, and see God's grace revealed in our lives if we don't see and embrace God's greatness. We, we think, oh, yeah, God's, God's good. Right? Not just great. He's not magnificent. He, oh, yeah, there's God. You say, oh, yeah, there's, there, God loves everyone. It's all good. You don't, no, no, you don't understand God's grace because you don't understand God's greatness. So today, we want to take a look at God's greatness and help, let that inform uh, what we know of God and how we respond to God, but also let that, let that well up in us a vision and, and an explanation of God's grace and how, how wide and big and tall and vast His grace is. So we're going to see His greatness displayed in His power and His majesty, and we'll see His grace displayed in the power He gives His people and the peace He gives to His people. So it is a call to worship, and it's a reminder. So you and I need to know it's a reminder for you and I to make him the object of our worship. And with that reminder, there should be a question. You and I should ask this question. Um, the question is this, who or what is the object of my greatest affection? Who or what is the object of my greatest affection? I'm going to use a Tim Keller quote later, but he had another one that was really great this week, and he said, he said it like this. He said, um, the thing that you think about when... You don't have to think about anything else, right? When, when work is done, the kids are in bed, the bills have been paid, maybe someone, you're just by yourself and you're alone with your thoughts, and, and the thing you think about at that point is probably your God. It's probably what you, what, where your affections are placed, right? So what, what are you and I, what are we pondering about? What are we thinking about? What stirs our heart when nothing else has to stir our heart? And, and today we're going to look at that and have to ask, ask that question and answer that question. And hopefully the call to worship and reminder is that we should be worshiping the one true God. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to get into our text of Psalm 29. Let's pray. God, we, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come uh, together, to gather in, in, in your presence, Lord, and to worship you. God, we, we want to exalt you, and that means we want to lessen ourselves. So God, help us empty us, empty ourselves of any, any sin, God, any errors, uh, anything that uh, is, is a preference or maybe a, a thought in our minds that God is untrue, that we would we would cast those lies and those falsehoods away, and we would seek your truth today. God, it's, it's difficult, I know, to examine our hearts, but help us to do that. Help our hearts and our minds to be receptive to your truth. God, that we would desire to be changed, challenged and changed 
by your word and by your spirit. We thank you that you are God. We thank you for your grace and your love and your mercy. We give you this time now in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we're in Psalm 29. I'm going to read the entire chapter, and we'll break it apart. Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord and glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. The voice of the Lord is above the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord above the vast waters. The voice of the Lord in power. The voice of the Lord in splendor. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord shatters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the woodlands bare. In His temple, all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned, King forever. The Lord gives His people strength, and the Lord blesses His people with peace. Amen? So we're going to look at the power of God. Today's message is titled, The Power of God. And we're going to see it, number one here, the power of God. We see it over heaven. The power of God over heaven. Let's look at our text here, verses 1 and 2 in, in chapter 29. Uh, we see this, this call to worship that the psalmist is singing and that the congregation is singing. And they sing, ascribe to the Lord or give to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe or give to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. What we see is these angels singing out. Uh, the psalmist knows that right now, even right now, that there, is, there are angels in heaven singing, holy, holy, holy to God. They are ascribing glory and strength and majesty, and it's all due His name, that He is due that. And, and even as they write this, there's a lot of commentators that write about this, uh, this psalm. And, and of course, People write about lots of things, right? But there's a, there's a few that have talked about the, the idea of the of the myths behind or the or the embraced legends and embraced even um, religiosity of, of the Canaanites. And you see even in in, in scripture where uh, Elijah goes and fights Baal, right? The, the prophet Elijah, the prophet of God, goes and, and does does the work against the prophets of Baal and Baal himself. And there's this big fight on Mount Carmel, right? And, the, and the, he basically said, "Yeah, you see what your God's doing." And I love my son. He we read a book, a storybook, and one of the one of the things it's kind of it, it teases, right? Where's your God? What's your God up to? Where's Baal? And he he wrote what's his favorite part of that story? He said it was when when Baal they asked Baal, "Where's your God? Is he on the toilet? Was he in the bathroom? Is he indisposed right now?" Make it mocking, right? Mocking this false god. But it's so true that, that there are false gods out there. And, and, and they knew even in that time, the Canaanites especially, and we'll see why the Canaanites, but the Canaanites especially worship Baal, and they worship who's the god of water, right? And we'll see why he, the Lord is over the waters here in a minute, right? But the god of water and all these, all these myths about the god and the power that comes with being God. And, but when he says, first off, he says, ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. There's two kind of things that that could be. One is heavenly beings, right? Heavenly angels. The, the angels are the ones right now worshiping God in heaven. We see that through the scriptures. That's totally true. But it's also translated as the sons of the mighty or lesser gods. So when, when this is sung, when this is a praise and a report, it's actually also a rebuke saying, you all think you have these lesser gods, 
But these lesser gods are going to what? Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Every false god, every little g god that we would ever worship, every, every little g god or idol that we have in our lives, every single one of those will ultimately bow before the God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who was and is and is to be. So when we talk about this idea of who has my affection, we, we need to answer that question. Because if, if something else has a greater affection in my life than God, it has become a God. And, and I've kind of done something upside down there because ultimately that little g God is going to be bowing to the God I should be bowing to. So we ought to bow to him and, and cast off those idols and cast aside those lesser gods. These, these lesser gods will revere a holy God. Interesting enough, here's another quote from Tim Keller. I, I really like some of his stuff recently, he's, he said. But here's what he says. Tim Keller says this. He says, most of us, we want Jesus as a consultant and not as a king. We want Jesus as a consultant and not as a king. Well, bear with me here. This is how idolatry starts. We like to be in control of our lives, don't we? We like to be in control of what we do, what we wear, what, where we go, and how we spend our money and our time. We like to have control all around. And, and some of us are like, okay, well, I'll consult God. And think about where to go to college, right? It's, and here's the, here's the attitude of, of having God as a consultant. Here's what it looks like. God, where should I go to college? Okay, and, and oh yeah, there's, this looks good. And really it kind of is like, it's the warm and fuzzy. Maybe God opened that door. That sounds good. And maybe God did. He's like, here, this is where you should go. But here's what we do with consultants. We say, thank you. I'll take it from here. But do you see the attitude of the heart there? Thank you, I'll take it from here to God? See, we, we much rather would have him as a consultant. Where we could, we could ask questions once in a while, and we could pretend we really, really like him and love him, and, and, and ultimately say, oh, I'll take it from here. I'll take it from here, God. I'll, I'll control the rest. Thanks for getting me that far. Thanks for the input. And, I, and by the way, I may not even take your advice, but thank you for it. That's a consultant. Something else is our God. He's just a consultant. What we ought to be is bowing down humbly before the king because he is a king. We don't come to him as a consultant or as just like a, a make-a-wish foundation. We come to him as God Almighty and as his subjects. We humble ourselves before him and we, we bow before him in reverence that's due his name. You see, a consultant says, I'll take it from here. Or when we ask a consultant, we say, I'll take it from here. But when we have a king, what we do is we trust and obey. We trust and obey. I want to read Psalm 97. It says, The heavens proclaim His righteousness. Again, the heavens, the, the angels, it proclaims His righteousness. And, and the peoples, they see His glory. Then it says, All who, so, who, who serve carved images, those who boast in worthless idols, they will be put to shame. All the gods, why here? All the gods must worship all the gods must worship him. Whatever thought I have in the, in the times where I, I can think about whatever I want, if it's not the Lord, that eventually is going to bow down before God. It's worthless compared to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And it's, and it's in God's, we see this righteousness of God and this holiness of God and this reverence and glory of God. We see here, again, the greatness of God. But in the greatness of God, we also start to see the grace of God. I want you to turn with me, keep your ribbon here, but turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 7 together. I think it's a very powerful 
powerful uh, scripture. And it's, it's similar to the one I read earlier when we opened our service in Revelation chapter 4. You can see this, this image in heaven and what's going on in heaven. And now, now we see uh, it again here when Isaiah is, is given a glimpse, a vision of heaven. Here's what it says, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord on a high and lofty throne, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him, and with each with six wings. We read that in Revelation, right? And with two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called back to, to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the earth. They call it back and forth to another. The foundations of the doorways shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. You talk about the greatness of God here. You see, we, we don't always have the greatest perception or perspective of God. This is the one we need. And, and see, when we see the greatness of God, even over the heavens, we know the greatness of God is over me as well. And when we see the greatness of God, there is now a place where we, we desperately, desperately want and need the grace of God. You get that? When we see the greatness of God, we're like, oh, I need his grace. And here's why. Look at, let's keep reading what happens. He saw this. He saw this huge vision of God. Angels flying, right? Two wings covered their eyes because like, I, we can't even behold. Two their feet because they were shame, right? And, and two they flew just like, I'm just hovering here for you. And I'm singing back and forth to each other. The place is shaking, filling with smoke. This is what Isaiah saw. And what did Isaiah, the prophet of God, say? He says, Woe is me, for I'm ruined. Now, I've, I've translated this for you before at different times where we've used this verse. And here's what it means. Here's what he says. Oh no, I'm dead meat. That's the translation. That's what it means. He sees God in all of his grandeur and all of his glory and all of his greatness and, and all the smoke and fire and the holiness of God, the righteousness of God. And he says, uh-oh, I'm toast. I'm done. God's going to smoke me right now. I'm done. That lightning from, from heaven raining down, it's probably going to happen right now. It's some, some of those feelings happen when people walk through a church like, I'm not going to get struck down. This is really what he's about to experience, right? He's like, I'm, I'm just dead. Why? He says, I, I'm dead meat. Why? Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and because my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of all armies. Not a consultant, a king, right? He's seen the king. The greatness of God has compelled him to understand how not great he is. You see, and that's what, that's what we see. We see the greatness of God, and that should reveal a desperate, deep need for the grace of God. Because without the grace of God, we, like Isaiah, are toast. We're dead meat. Nothing I can bring to God and say, God, look, look at what I've done with all your help consulting, of course. Look at how great I am. Look at all the things I've done in my life. He's like, what are you talking about? I'm God. The train of my robe fills the temple. These angels are singing back and forth, holy, holy, holy. The place is shaking and, and with smoke. Probably when I come before God with all what I have my list, it's so loud anyway, he can't even hear it. It's like, wah, wah, wah. It doesn't mean anything. The Bible says that kind of righteousness is like filthy rags. You see, when we see the greatness of God, we see the depth of the grace of God that we need, don't we? Well, what happened? Going on in our story, what happened with Isaiah? Isaiah sees, he says, I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips. He says, I'm a sinner. I, I am sinful, and my eyes have beheld the king, the, the, one, the, the Lord of armies. And this is then, so he's in this, in this posture of repentant faith, what happens? 
Then one of the seraphim, the angels, flew to me, and in his hand was a glowing coal that he'd taken from the altar with tongs. And with it he touched my mouth and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed and your sin is atoned for. Oh my goodness. Not only is there the greatness and majesty and glory of God, all do His name. And when we are before Him, we shudder knowing that we're dead meat and we hope for a, a deep grace, as deep as, the, as, the, and as the, the greatness of God is high. We look for this deep grace of God. And then what happens? The grace of God comes. And we see the grace of God. How, how deep was that grace to Isaiah? Because he had beheld the greatness of God. It was deep. It ran very deep. And you see, if we don't, if we don't behold the greatness of God, if we don't understand and, and, and look for the greatness of God and, and, and give Him the glory due, we'll never understand fully the grace of God, the depth of the grace of God. There's an atonement here that, that sins have been covered, iniquity has been removed, and that's God's grace. It comes from a sense of awe in His might and His holiness, a holiness and power that heaven cannot stop proclaiming about. God has power over heaven. Number two, we see God's power is over the earth. So we go back to our Psalm 29. If you want to turn back there with me, we see these angels singing and, and even the lesser gods are bowing down because there is no God like him. He is the only God. And, and then it goes on. It gives this, gives this continuation of, of what happens. And this is where I, I believe there's kind of like a, a jide to the Canaanite belief or this, this, uh, this, this mythology of, of the Baal worship. They're like, you think, you think your God has power over the waters. You think your God's the God of water. You just wait and see. And here, here's what it says, right? So he's God, he's God, he has power over the earth. And, and, and so these beliefs are being confronted, and here's what it says. In verse 3, the voice of the Lord is above the waters. So it's like, okay, above, what does that mean? Here's the waters, and he's what? Above. To me, it's like, my God's better than your God, right? It's like, you, th- you think you're the God of the waters. My God's above the waters. He's bigger. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory of the, or the God of glory thunders. So there's this, the first part of this passage, you see this storm start to brew and rise, right? And so the voice of the Lord is above the waters. The glory of God thunders. The Lord above the vast waters, the voice of the Lord in power, the voice of the Lord in splendor, just what the voice of the Lord can can do. We see that at creation when God spoke the world into existence, right? It says the voice of the Lord then breaks the cedars. So we see the splendor, before we get to the cedars, we see the splendor of God's voice stirring the oceans, stirring the waters into this violent storm, thunderous storm. Some would say his voice is compared to the thunder. Some would say that his voice is what causes the thunder. Yes to both, I would say. So the storm rises. Now, why is it a storm? And what does it do? It moves towards the cedars of Lebanon. What the storm is doing is now is moving north towards Canaan. And what, it, what it's showing is that your God is less than our God. Our God is greater than yours. And our God is going to have judgment over your God. He will always crush your God. It would not just be like, mine's better than yours. No, he will always win. So what happens? Judgment in the storm begins to head up towards Canaan. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The voice of the Lord shatters or breaks the, shatters the cedars of Lebanon. There's the full force of the storm is coming up, the violent, right? He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and, uh, and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes flames of fire. 
what's happening here. As God's storm comes about, God's power over the earth, when he says, go, it goes. And when he says, dance, what does the earth do? It dances. It trembles. It, earthquakes are happening. Shaking is happening. Trees, cedar trees are being split and shattered and uprooted. There's judgment being had. And this isn't this, this dark, dark thing, although judgment is dark and sin is dark. But we see the greatness of God. And what does the greatness of God also show us deeply? The grace of God. So we're going to see that in a minute, right? We're going to see the grace of God coming up here. So what happens? He, he goes into, into love and he moves up, right? And he goes further. And the, and the earth is dancing. It's, and I said, he says dance and, and they dance. He says jump. They say what? There says how high? Because he's God. And he has control and sovereign control over that. And he goes on. He says, the voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. Now moving forward, the Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. Moving north. The voice of the Lord, then he says, makes the deer give birth, and he strips the woodlands bare. It's like this storm is violent. It's going to rage, and there's judgment to be had. Your gods lose. Your gods bow. Your, what you worship breaks and is gone to our God. Our God is the one who is due glory and honor and power and strength. So there's a stop here. And I, I want to mention this real quick. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. Some commentators said that like, like, like he forces birth to happen premature. Like you think about labor pains and just the sorrow of that and grief of that. I think that, that either way what I see here is the voice of the Lord causes life. Right? But in the next verse, or part of that verse, and strips the woodlands bare and causes death. Right? There's life and death hanging in the balance of the voice of God, the word of God. Like Job, what would Job say? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away but blessed be the name of the Lord. So we see the greatness of God. You see the greatness of God in this? It's almost a scary greatness he has over the storm and over or the power he has over the earth, right? It's scary. But what happens next? Look at the next part of this verse. In his temple, all cry glory. See, it's a glimpse of the greatness of God, the majesty of God, the grandeur of God, and that is what, why we worship God or the, the greatness of his majesty and his holiness. And, and God is not unjust in that. And, and in his temple, all cry, cry glory. See, we acknowledge that, that we acknowledge through praise the importance of God. And then look at this next part. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned king forever. This can be more scary and it can be more gracious. I want, I want us to look at it this way. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. What did the Lord just do? He sat enthroned over the storm, right? Over, over impending judgment. He stirred the seas. The winds came on, onto shore, knocked away all the trees, and, and, and went on and shook the mountains and shook the valleys. That's what the Lord just did. And I, I know that even sounds weird with a hurricane impending on the United States, right? This, the Lord, His voice, His power does that. And, and what what's it, should it tell us? He's enthroned. His, he's powerful over that. And He goes on to tell us, you thought that that was... You know, you think that was it? Like maybe Baal and, or, the, or the worshipers of Baal are like, you know, okay, yeah, you beat Baal on Mar Mount Carmel, so there's, you had one, zero. Okay, fine, you sent the storm up through Canaan and, and beat us again. Okay, there's two to zero. We're keeping track here. And the worship says, no, it's not about how many times he's going to beat you. He goes on, he says, by the way, the, the Lord, was, he sits enthroned over the flood. Flood. It's not just the Lord sits enthroned when the waters rise. You know that word is used again earlier on? Genesis with Noah and the great flood, right? God, God made a great flood, covered the entire earth, and destroyed everything. 
that wasn't on that ark. What, what the psalmist is saying, what we sing and praise is God is so great, he can beat, beat our enemy in one victory, in one battle with a storm. Well, wait, God is so great, he did this, he had sat and thrown over the flood even. That, you, thought, you thought the storm was bad, the flood, that was where it was at. Wait, pause. Let's see how gracious our God is to remain in control, in sovereign control. What's the last part of verse 10? The Lord sits enthroned, king, what? Forever. Forever. And ever, and ever. That's why they sing, holy, 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 back and forth, forever. Because God, our God, sits enthroned forever. And that's a means of grace. Our God is never shaken. He can shake, but he's never shaken. Our God is never surprised. Our God has never taken off his throne. He's never, like Baal, in the bathroom or absent somewhere trying to figure out what to do next. God always sits enthroned as consultant forever? No. As king. As king forever. And that is a great grace. So we see the greatness of God and we see the grace of God here. And we respond, glory. We respond in praise. Isaiah 46, we see a glimmer of this recollection of remembering who God is. And and Isaiah writes, and God says this, Remember what happened long ago, for I am God, and there is no other like me. For I am God, and there is no one like me. I declare the end from the beginning, and from long ago what is not yet done, saying, My plan will take place, and I will do all my will. I call a bird of prey from the east. I call a man for my purpose from a far country. Yes, I have spoken, so I will also bring it about. I have planned it. I will also do it. Amazing, right? God's saying, listen, I'm God. I alone am God. My plans will always win. I will always have my way. It'll be exactly how I wanted it to be, period. I'm God. What does it say next? Listen to me, you hard-hearted. You see, that first part, we should see the greatness of God, right? How great God is. And we see how great is our God. Like We should see the greatness of God. What keeps us from seeing that? Our hard hearts. So he says, listen to me, you hard-hearted. Those who would deny his greatness and be far removed from justice. Here, it's really important to catch this verse, verse 12. Listen to me, you hard-hearted. Those who deny God's greatness... For, uh, you are far removed from justice. Because if you deny God's greatness, you are going to miss God's grace. We miss God's grace. You see that? We, we're hard-hearted, we deny His greatness, and we are removed from justice. The justice of God satisfied on Christ for you and I. And we miss that grace. He says, I'm bringing my justice near. It's not far away because God, right, in His greatness brings Grace. I'm bringing it near. It's not far away, and my salvation will not delay. I'll put salvation in Zion, my splendor, in Israel. Again, this greatness of God reveals the depth of His grace, and it's a call to worship, a call to praise. Psalm 71 says this, because of the greatness of God, in view of the greatness of God and the grace of God, my mouth will tell about your righteousness and your salvation all day long. If we, don't, if we aren't doing that all day long, if that's not what's on our heart all day long, we haven't understood the greatness of God. And if we've missed the greatness of God, we've missed the grace of God. I'll tell about your righteousness and your salvation all day long, though I cannot sum them up. I love this. This is kind of like my theme verse for a, as a pastor. 
right? Some of you are like, man, come on, Brandon, just sum it up. I cannot sum it up. I'm sorry. I cannot help but continue to speak about the Lord's righteousness and His salvation. I can't sum it up. I come because of the mighty acts of the Lord God. I will proclaim your righteousness, yours alone. It's only His. He is the only one righteous. We are, as I said earlier, filthy rags. Anything we could bring is filthy rags. But what He offers in His might and His greatness is a chance for us to see Him in His greatness, repent of our sin, and turn to Him in faith, turning to His grace, receiving the grace and forgiveness that He offers and the righteousness He offers through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Is it yours? Have you missed the greatness of God and then missed the grace of God? Or have you seen the greatness of God, the, the, the holiness, the splendor of God, and been moved to a place like Isaiah says, oh man, I am done, I'm, I'm toast. And embrace then Christ through faith and the grace of God that changes everything. Finally, number three, the power of God. The power of God is over his people. And this is, this is huge to see not only the power but the grace of God. And we saw it in verse 10. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned king forever. Again, the greatness of God here. There's greatness here. There's judgment there. He was over the flood. He was over the storm that just brewed and went into, into Canaan. Right? He, he was in the middle of that. He was enthroned in that, but he is enthroned king forever. And that enthroned king forever, who could justly just write us off, say, I'm done with these guys, pursues us with his love and his grace and his salvation. He says, where, where you deserve to have the greatness and the great wrath of God put on your shoulders, he put it on the Lord Jesus' shoulders on the cross so that you and I could come to Jesus and, and, and find through faith forgiveness and life and peace. That's what he offers for us. The Lord, here's the, here's the grace, the Lord gives his people strength, same strength he just used above, right? And the Lord blesses his people with peace. Listen, when you and I see so the greatness of God like this, if we see the greatness of God and the majesty of God and the holiness of God and the splendor of God, and, it, and it's like, yes, God, that's awesome, and it gives me peace, then you understand the grace of God. But if you see the splendor of God and the holiness of God and the righteousness of God and the justice of God, and you're like, oh, man, that is scary, scary stuff. I don't know if I can handle this. And you have no peace, then you have not believed and trusted in the grace of God. Because when we see the greatness of God, it should move us to a place of repentant faith in the Son, Jesus Christ, who gives us peace. Paul says this in Romans. He says, I'm not ashamed, in 116, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the good news of Jesus Christ, that we could have life. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it, in what? The gospel. right? In it, the power of God. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Remember when we come to, come to him as a king instead of a consultant? We come to him living our lives in trust and obedience. We trust and obey. When we come to him as a consultant, we just say, thanks God, I've, I've got this from here. But as a king, we trust and obey. We, the righteous, will live by faith because of what he's done. 
He, uh, Paul writes in Ephesians, he says, but now in Christ. And that, that, that really means something. We've got to clear, clear that up. If it says, but now in Christ, it means now if you are in Christ, which you can be if you would turn from yourself and turn to the greatness of God and the grace of God and embrace him by faith. You can be in Christ also. Your righteousness as filthy rags will be gone and he'll clothe you with his own righteousness, the righteousness of his greatness and his grace. So now if you're in Christ, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. You see, the part of the greatness of God and the power of God for his people is the peace that he can give us that surpasses all understanding when we express faith in him. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who are far and, and peace to those who are near. For through him, and here's why we have peace, through him, Jesus, we all have access in one spirit to the Father. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is the greatness of God displayed, and that is the grace of God displayed. And listen, that is a call to worship, that we would worship God in His greatness, we'd worship God in His grace and for who He is, and that you and I would continually evaluate in our own heart who or what is the greatest object of our affections or the greatest object of the affections of our heart. Who or what? Is it God? I, I pray that it is. If it's not, and you kind of teeter back and forth, man, throw those things aside that are, that are getting in the way and run to Jesus. See his greatness and don't miss his grace. All right? Would you stand with me as we continue to worship? We'll pray and we'll continue to worship together. Father, we, we thank you so much for your greatness. And Lord, your greatness is on display everywhere. And Lord, certainly we can see it through your word and through your creation and by your spirit. You're always on the move. You sit enthroned as king forever, and we are grateful for that. God, that is both a tribute to your greatness and a tribute to your grace. That you are sitting there on your throne forever in your power and majesty, and nothing can usurp you and your authority, and all glory and honor and reverence is due you. It is being worshipped, or worship is being given to you. But God, we also know that you sit there accessible to us, that through Christ Jesus, through the grace of God, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. And we thank you for that. God, I pray that for those who have not understood the greatness of God, who have missed the greatness of God, and who have missed your grace, would see your, your greatness now. They'd see your holiness and your splendor and your perfection. And in it, they would, they would be shaken to their core about their, their own sin and their need for a Savior, their need for deep grace. And God, as they see that need, as they humble themselves, they would turn to you in faith because you poured out your greatness and your great wrath on Jesus for us that we might be forgiven and free. We thank you. We praise you for that. God, help us now to worship you from the overflow of our heart that we would sing these truths to our own heart, that we would sing these truths to one another, that we would pray earnestly, seeking to be changed and conformed into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in His great name that we pray.